Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and help to improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch Integrated Security and Communication Solutions span Zones 1 through 4 in the LPRC's Zones of Influence, while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science Podcast. Today, uh, our latest in our weekly update series, um, joined uh, as normal, uh, thankfully, by colleagues and friends uh, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, uh, as well as our producer, Kevin Tran. Um, welcome, everybody. So we'll, we'll jump into it. Um, things have continued to move rapidly on the COVID-19 front, the pandemic. We know that there have been increases in infections. Um, it's uh, sort of all over the place. We just heard that uh, in Florida, for example, the infections haven't boosted yet, but again, there are always lags after the holiday season. Uh, but since uh, so many people did not go there to see family or friends um, that may have been contained a little bit, uh, but uh, the, the data will show the same thing with the uh, ICUs and emergency departments as far as pressure uh, that seems to be uh, distributed unevenly across the United States. And, um, you know, a dynamic that we've heard throughout this is that the as the more rural areas, those areas that don't have as much of medical capability um, started to get hit by infections and those that started to get more serious infection that had underlying conditions uh, or, were, or were more vulnerable because of age and so on, um, over, very rapidly overwhelmed uh, local capacity. And so um, we saw what can happen in a, in a location like New York City that has incredibly vast and, and very capable uh, medical resources uh, because of the sheer number of humans uh, that they were overwhelmed. And, and so we're seeing that uh, in some areas of the country, others were not, uh, or but is a wave coming. Um, so again, it continues to be the hand space and space so that we're not spreading and onboarding, uh, acting as a key link in the infection chain. The virus loves us if we don't uh, uh, wash our hands, you know, cover our face and and keep a little bit of space from other humans because that's how the virus is transmitted and viruses are going to virus. So um, moving on to the uh, vaccine front, just continually almost every day, new information. We know that today at 6.31 a.m. local time in Coventry, England in the United Kingdom, uh, a 91-year-old healthy, as far as they know, uh, uh, individual citizen, uh, royal subject, uh, was vaccinated uh, with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, um, one of the first of um, millions that will be vaccinated in the UK. Um, and that's before the AstraZeneca Oxford uh, has cleared the, the final hurdles uh, or the Moderna uh, vaccine. So again, um, two that are, have well, three that have actually come out of phase three trials with an incredible amount of an- analysis. And bear in mind on the safety profile, um, the phase one, then the phase two, and then the phase three trials, uh, all heavily monitored for what we would think safety and efficacy, and of course, dose ranging analysis, trying to understand how much do we need, how often, 
uh, do we need to give it? It looks like the first three uh, vaccines that will be coming out the gate, uh, they are recommending and requiring two injections, two doses uh, per person um, to maintain, to achieve and uh, maintain a longer lasting immune response. Um, we see that one has uh, is reporting more uh, immune response side effects than the other, but both have them. And as I mentioned on this podcast before, in the uh, taking the Shingrix shingles anti shingles vaccine, which is a two dose regimen, um, I I was able to achieve a pretty healthy, robust immune response. In other words, each time for about two days, I felt like I had the flu, and I, as far as I know, have not had the flu in over twenty years. So, um, but that's actually could be a good sign. Um, neither have had serious side effects or anybody needing to be hospitalized uh, after months and months of study. Um, the other thing that uh, I understand the vaccine scientists and physicians that are working on these and, and many other, we know there are a hundred vaccines in development, in different phases, including 17 now in the very rigorous phase two. And again, 13 in phase three um, are that they uh, like to look after the approval at it, um, uh, uh, or coming out of the phase three trial, another six weeks minimum. Normally, side effects are present uh, within that six-week period. So in the United States, the FDA is requiring two months. The administration said, no, we want eight weeks data minimum uh, on top of your completion of your trial, uh, where again, we've got all that data. Um, and bear in mind too, with each of these, particularly under Operation Warp Speed, there were already independent researchers and uh, US FDA and um, and other uh, medical officials that had access and were uh, conducting active surveillance throughout the trials in the United States, the UK, and elsewhere. So that's another reason the UK went ahead and improved, approved the uh, use of the Pfizer uh, commencing this morning, um, uh, which would be December uh, 8th uh, for 2020, because of all the surveillance that was conducted, all the data on each and every person. Um, we know that the doses that uh, it's my understanding that pregnant women were not included uh, in an abundance of caution, but that uh, they fully believe that there are women that actually were pregnant during the trials that they have, by and large, identified that and a lot of other factors around those participants, whether they received the placebo or the actual vaccine uh, before, uh, during, after dose one and before, during, and after dose two. Uh, so they do have data around uh, if you're pregnant uh, and then again, different age groups. Uh, it's my understanding as well as, as normal protocol and vaccines that um, nobody under 12 participated in the trials. Uh, and so what they like to do is walk that type of testing down in a separate phase three trial. Um, so you go down stepwise in age groups, but again, uh, the, it looks like in studying and uh, preparing that um, under age 12 um, serious disease and particularly uh, fatalities, very, very, very rare across the world with millions, several millions of infections. So um, that's a little bit about what's happening there. Um, the, we also know that in addition to the Pfizer, BioNTech, the Moderna um, uh, US, and then the AstraZeneca Oxford, that uh, the J&J &J is coming near the, the finish line. They expect to deploy at least 1 billion doses in 2021 of theirs. Theirs uh, has been uh, a one-dose phase three trial so far, um, a much larger trial, at least 60,000 uh, 
human subjects or participants, um, but they've also funded and are conducting a simultaneous phase three trial where they're looking at a two dose protocol to make sure that they not only uh, trigger uh, a robust and proper immune response, but that that's more sustained. Um, and should they need that again, the, we know the logistics, we've talked about securing the, these vaccines from, uh, from being diverted, stolen, um, being uh, adulterated or um, hijacked or, or and otherwise out, uh, other fraud that might occur as well as theft. Um, but also that um, they're looking at the logistics of moving, particularly with the cold storage requirements. But we're seeing that Pfizer um, seems to require the coldest, but that the other uh, options coming out would not require that. Um, in, uh, an interesting vaccine in phase two trial from Zytus, that would be a skin patch um, application rather than an injection. Um, we see that another one coming from CureVac that's actually uh, working with Tesla on a manufacturing of theirs. Um, it would be uh, using uh, another type of technology, um, but again, would be only need to be stored at 40 degrees uh, rather than below zero. Um, and then Inovio, for example, there, the, the application of the injection would not be uh, by in, uh, in, of this vaccine by injection, but also it would be a handheld device that does a subtle electro impulse and injects it. Um, so, but again, we're looking at several hundred different vaccine options, uh, another several hundred therapy options for those of us that uh, are infected um, before we experience any symptoms during or if, uh, or if we get serious disease. Um, so those continue at pace. So a lot of exciting news on the, the prevention, the therapy, and of course, uh, fronts and, and the treatments. So um, moving over to looting, we've been doing some deeper dives and trying to understand some of the dynamics we talked about. Some uh, seem to be related to uh, racial injustice demonstrations, others to NBA or Major League Baseball, in other words, professional sports championships. Um, others, we just saw Chicago was hit pretty seriously by um, hundreds of young teens. Um, and so the stay by as we continue to study and understand the group dynamics that occur um, and what that looks like. Uh, we're also playing particular, paying particular attention to a new anti-violence program that's gonna be initiated in Baltimore. This actually will be the third time this program has been initiated, but the belief is at this time it will be adequately funded, better planned, and the funding and planning uh, and the commitment they believe they've got at all levels um, will make it more effective, efficacious program. Um, the same program with modifications appears to have been fairly effective in New Orleans and uh, two or three other major cities. And in fact, the, the police chief from New Orleans is now the uh, police commissioner in Baltimore. Um, so he is completely and fully committed to detailed planning. Uh, there are researchers from Johns Hopkins and Harvard and other uh, academic institutions, criminologists that are working alongside um, and have been measuring the initial two that were done in Baltimore to help advise on ways to better conduct. And in fact, further commitment comes from the new mayor elect in Baltimore, who as a young man grew up during one of the, the first of the trials of this program. And he has his reasons or his personal observations why he didn't think the commitment was there. Uh, he thinks it's a good program. Uh, it just wasn't thoroughly applied um, or given enough time. And so uh, it's very committed. So 
stay tuned. But the idea is that we not only want to have individuals, us, uh, potential victims, our stores, our homes, our places, and people be a little more protective of our own behavior um, so that we're not as vulnerable, not as exposed to risk uh, to uh, predators, you know, offenders, but also that uh, we can work more collectively, not just at that place or space, but in that block, that that neighborhood, uh, that area, uh, and so forth. So these large-scale uh, operations where you're looking at the operative mechanisms at the different strata are of particular interest to us. And many of the retailers that we work with are very excited and motivated to work together, to work collectively. Uh, one, because they think they can be more effective. And two, they can share some of the cost with the revenues down so much in retailing. Um, so that's a big push here at the LPRC <clears throat> and through the Safer Places Lab program at the University of Florida that we're standing up in earnest uh, right now. Um, the LPRC's solution partner directory is being stood up as we speak. Um, and Kevin can speak more to that later on an upcoming podcast as to how uh, that's going to work. But all the new ways that the LPRC will be supporting and working with the solution partner members, those that create the technologies um, and the tasks and uh, personnel operations that uh, are so critical to the retailers themselves to support them and get their uh, technologies better known, better deployed, and tied together, integrated in a better way. Um, our, we were pretty excited that we received our Dell Technologies um, new Power Edge server to be used for artificial intelligence, AI, particularly computer vision, but also natural language processing or NLP uh, server came in where uh, the NVIDIA uh, Tesla T4 GPUs that uh, were gifted to us by NVIDIA should be arriving this week. We just got the, uh, the number this morning, um, the tracking number. Uh, so we're excited to have that new server. And that's very complimentary to the server that Sensormatic AI uh, that KS, that Gopi and the team have donated and that we'll be working on zone three. In other words, in store, two different projects as well as uh, two different uh, zone four uh, parking lot projects with AI. Uh, and now with the new Dell technologies, we'll be able to extend that further. And there'll be more news as we, I believe, we'll be getting yet a third ster uh, AI server as well. Um, and these servers are going to allow us, the LPRC, but also to, uh, to conduct R&D uh, with our solution partners and prepare and be ready to start to move from the lab uh, in the lab spaces in, as well as the parking lot and loading dock and other environments we can research here at UF um, at the uh, Innovate Hub, but then move out into the stores, um, but also allow us to work more closely with the uh, UF faculty and industrial and systems engineering uh, department as well as uh, computer, uh, well, it's electrical uh, engineering and computer engineering and ECE. And then finally with SICE, which is a computer information and uh, systems engineering. So with those three departments, we'll be collaborating more closely and them and their PhD students. Also, I mentioned robotics. We've got uh, some robotic uh, technology now in the engagement lab at the LPRC. And uh, Dr. Bo Yihu and his five PhD students have now been cleared in uh, during COVID here to work closely with us on R&D in that lab space. So we're very excited about that. And so you're seeing this combination of uh, smart device and part of the smart device is leveraging some edge uh, AI capability to better serve the customer, increase efficiency and safety 
um, in a few different ways that we can talk about later. Hazard net, we got a nice jump in our um, human subject or our participant um, in engagement and enrollment uh, yesterday. We were excited about it. It was a little flat as people were all over the place taking tests, our student sample um, and traveling and, and staying clear because of COVID. Uh, and they're conducting and collecting the data in the privacy and security and safety of their own homes through a protocol designed to keep them safe and separated uh, while they record their video clips. Uh, our annotators have started annotating the video uh, to be used to, again, train and then later inference um, uh, different models. So using different models. Um, uh, Operation Next Level is well underway here. Um, their team will be in Gainesville next week. Uh, but we're working on concentrated recruiting um, of new retailers and key solution partners, the United States, Canada, the UK, and Europe, um, and then expanding later on. So uh, we're excited to talk about that. Some new ORC research, I, it's not ready yet, but I'll have Dr. Corey Lowe on our team go through that. Um, and then we'll have uh, Kenna Carlson on our team go through some of the new research she's doing on an upcoming episode. So, uh, That'll be the end of my briefing. I'm going to head over to Tony D'Onofrio and let's find out what's going on in the world, literally the world of retailing. Tony? Thank you very much, Reed. And again, great update on both LPRC and the great things that's going on there and also the positive front and the vaccine. It was good to see that nine-day-year-old get the first shot in the UK. So let me start actually with some data on the Q3 2020 from DND Daily on the retail robbery report for the quarter. So year to date for the nine, first nine months, retail robberies are uh, stable to slightly lower at 4,091 through Q3 versus uh, 4,157 last year. Q3 robberies are the lowest on record in Q3 uh, at 1278 versus 1464 last year. The top three sectors uh, in the quarter uh, were convenience, jewelry, and restaurants. 37% uh, were armed, 31% were unarmed, 32% were burglaries. And the highest days of the week when robberies take place, which is, was a surprise to me, was Sunday and Monday. So Sunday and Monday is when the most robberies take place. The number one state was Texas, followed by New York and California. Last year it was California, Texas, and Florida, the top three. Uh, Chicago was the number one city, and it overtook Houston from last year as the most robbery. San Antonio was number two both years. New York tied Houston at number two this year in Q3, and last year New York was number five, so robberies are up in New York. Uh, let me now switch to also their Q3. Again, this is the DND Daily Q3 organized retail crime report. Year-to-date organized retail crime cases are down 25% on last year, the lowest since 2014. Q3 dollar amounts are down 52% on last year, lowest since 2016. The total number of ORC cases in Q3 uh, were 3,000. 311 versus 395 last year. The top three case types are theft and shoplifting, which were 74%, robbery, burglary, 14%, and credit card fraud, 5%. Uh, 
the top three merchandise stolen were electronics, tool, and hardware, including the top three states uh, in ORC in the quarter were Florida, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, comparing to last year where the top three were California, Florida, and Texas. So Florida makes an appearance in both years uh, in terms of the in the top three. So that's a little bit unorganized retail crime and robbery. Let me switch now to some new research or new report that was published in the Times in London uh, and also published by Recondur this week on the future of retail. Uh, so in that, they actually covered the world. So they talked about the U.S. For, for example, U.S. or Americans plan to spend $1,387 this year for the holidays, which is down 7%. Gift and card, uh, uh, gift card will be down 5% this year to $487 of that total. Non-gifts uh, purchases, which include uh, clothing, home holiday furnishing, plus other, uh, they're gonna be up 12%. So we're spending more on ourselves and our homes at $436. Socializing away from home, and traveling will be down 34% to $260. And no change in entertainment or having parties at home at $205, but I, but I guess they're gonna be smaller. 51% of USA consumers said they, would, they feel anxious shopping in store this holiday season. 65% say they would prefer to shop online to avoid uh, uh, crowds. Uh, they also provided some interesting forecasts in terms of what's going to happen next year and what's actually going to happen in 2025 and what also is going to happen to 2020, uh, 2030. So here are the uh, six forecasts for the future of retail. So by 2021, they expect, and I fully agree, the return to physical stores. Mediocre 2020 players won't survive the pandemic. Fewer, but there will be fewer. Uh, far better stores. Brick and mortar retail will become a high touch sensory driven experience. Uh, will need to become more frictionless and this includes contacts like payments, reduced physical touch points and expanding and simplifying click and collect. Also in 2021, we'll see more personalized offers. Offers will become more sophisticated and personalized by the end of the year. When you opt in as a consumer, retailers uh, will predict your, your needs and deliver them. And in fact, they're also predicting that we'll have an app that will actually figure out us how to actually get our size correct, which will improve online ordering. By 2025, uh, the prediction is for a blended retail experience. So by 2025, we'll be experiencing the tail end of the pandemic leading to hybrid uh, working models, reduced uh, business travel, commercial buildings at lower occupancy, and the discretionary spending will remain cautious. There will be a resurgence of shopping in malls, which will offer a richer range of experiences by blending retail, music, dining, and entertainment. Uh, also by 2025, Customer expectation will rule. So by 2025, more retailers will tap into local communities, developing hyper-personalization and hyper 
localization to attract consumers to suitable offers. Future retail trends will see stores evolve and follow examples of Nike and Starbucks to play three hub for immediate consumptions as an experiential venue and as a showroom to support the brand and support online sales as e-commerce fulfillment centers. And then by 2030, uh, they expect uh, the predictions are for smart supply chains. So by 2030, entire value chains will be aligned to accurate predictive models of consumer needs using AI. And finally, number six, by 2030, will have seamless shopping. So consumers will have seamless shopping experiences through social platforms. Social commerce will become a powerful tool for small brands to access their well-targeted consumer segments and make them able to compete with large brands. So some of these predictions I think will actually come sooner. For example, social commerce is already a multi-billion dollar business in China that is doing really well. So it needs to come to the West sooner. The whole personalization uh, really, again, needs to come sooner because that's what consumers are looking for through their digital devices. So some of these, I think, will happen sooner. Some of these, like getting our size right, I think will take longer. So, But it's interesting to see in terms of how retail is evolving as we get to the pandemic at the next level. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tom. Well, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. Uh, and uh, we'll go through very quickly because some of this stuff is repetitive. I'll, I'll talk about a story that isn't uh, funny, but often when I talk about it, sometimes people uh, think it's humorous, but there are the puppy scams. We talked about this about two months ago. Uh, there's been an increase of puppy scams in the second uh, wave, wave of lockdown. Basically, people that are stuck at home want to get pets and uh, a lot of uh, dogs that are in demand are very difficult to get. Shelters, uh, thankfully, are empty, so there aren't as many rescues out there, and there unfortunately aren't a rash throughout the United States of folks that are posting, taking deposits, and not delivering dogs. There were multiple arrests, actually, in the last five days. Um, I think the first wave uh, was uh, everybody wasn't as prepared as the second, so law enforcement has really taken an aggressive measure. There's actually some news reports last night on it. So just a, a stark reminder, my family uh, has asked about a dog multiple times and started to look. And um, it's if you know about the scams, it's, it's somewhat obvious when you get into it. But if you really want a dog, uh, large upfront deposits, um, not being able to see the dog, uh, videos that are dated, uh, things of that nature that are coming through. So just another reminder to stay weary. Um, this week, the FBI released a warning. Um, they really released two around scams, one about um, an increase of scams specific to uh, the vaccinations as vaccinations become uh, available and the news comes out that there is a concern uh, of scams or miracle cures. And, um, you know, the, the, the tips are very simple is research carefully, uh, check with your local doctor, ignore calls for immediate action. You know, you're not going to get a text message that says you need to come do this. Um, in order to run through. Um, there is, and Reed mentioned this a little bit, because there are therapeutics and treatments that are out there that are not um, necessarily require a shot or intravenous, uh, the patch for one, those are the one, uh, the scams that are really being targeted, a nasal spray, a patch, avoid your doctor, Come, we can send it directly to your house. 
um, we'll probably take your insurance, just pay the shipping fee. Uh, so the scam is not necessarily one of the scams where they're looking for large dollars. They're really saying, give us your insurance information, your personal information, and then send, send us a payment for shipping. So this is kind of a double whammy. They get your personal information and then they keep that shipping money and nothing comes through. Um, a good rule of thumb in the, while it may sound obvious when you're listening to this podcast is um, the FBI just simply made a statement that it is glaringly important to remember is that you're not going to be getting um, you know, a medical uh, treatment or prescribed online for COVID. There's no plans for an online distribution of COVID. And if you're not dealing with your doctor directly to assume that it's not real and to move on. Additionally, and I think we talk about this every year, but this is, again, more related to COVID, uh, both Amazon Prime and Apple, there have been uh, a new kind of robocall scam for the listeners uh, that get that that random dial with a computerized message. Uh, this The Amazon Prime one is a little more clever than some in the past because it does sound somewhat authentic because you're an Amazon Prime member. We have you on this automated piece. Press this button to learn about your package. Um, and there's a couple of different methods uh, of operation that what they're what uh, whether it be stealing your Amazon information or so on and so forth. Uh, and similar with your Apple account, your Apple account's been compromised. You can reset your password. Click on this link. That's a password. So there've been in the last ten days um, kind of a changeover with the package side of it and the Apple side of it. Uh, while I would say these are things that are constantly happening. Uh, and it serves as a good reminder, uh, as we do, and we talk about different methods to uh, deter theft and different ways to help mitigate loss and actually apprehend folks. Uh, the folks that are doing these scams are constantly, constantly um, changing the messaging and working around it. So um, what I would say is I did actually um, hear the recording for the Amazon Prime um, I, I think that it, it's actually very well done. The call center, I'm not sure where it is yet. Um, it, you know, it's a clean call center. It sounds very Amazonist, uh, like when you talk through it. I did not hear the new Apple one. So it, it's just keeping in mind. And we're all at this point, I would say the majority of folks are doing a lot more online shopping. So we're trying to track our packages. And then um, there are some logistics challenges around those things. Uh, so this kind of is timely, especially if you're waiting for a package for a family member or you're waiting for something. Um, as we all know, these vishing or phishing scams pry on the fact that there's some validity to it and that enforces the message of it. It could be true. Um, so it's important to really th you know, to think through and, and look at that. Um, the, the easiest methodology is go back to the merchant. If you do get a phone call or you do get a text message and you have an incline that it could potentially be an accurate message, go back to the merchant, go to the merchant's website directly, um, go uh, pick the phone up directly. And I often say this, that extra 30 to 60 seconds could avoid you, um, uh, you know, months of aggravation around some of these scams. Additionally, and I'll round it out with this, and it feels just like it did back in um, April when we, we started talking about this stuff in May is... As folks are going remote and schools are starting to close, there is a rash of different types of attacks that are focused on home networks. Again, I think this goes to, you know, anything related to the internet and related to risk is, you know, use good passwords, change your passwords often, you know, that's a pain. Use two-factor authentication where available, 
and do your very, very best to keep your work uh, computer separate from your kids' homeschooling computer. Um, I think it, it, it's to be said today, I, I, don't, I know that that's not uh, as easy as, as it sounds. Last night, I was on a, a call fairly late with someone dealing with an issue and their computer wasn't working, so they had to use their kid's computer. And immediately, that I, we started talking through the risks and the person on the phone who I would say um, is actually extremely proficient technology-wise and um, is in our space, so is aware of the risks simply just said, well, my computer's not working. I don't have an alternative. So this is the option I chose and the risk is there. So um, we talked about some alternatives like using a tablet, a uh, closed loop system, different ways that we um, this individual could access their network. But it, it, it leads to believe that sometimes this is not a an error. You know, um, that was a conscious decision to do the work, but then there really wasn't a conscious decision of what the backlash was. Um, and with that, I, I would just remind everybody that as we approach the holidays, to just um, you know stay safe online, uh, continue to wear a mask. I know Reed often says that, but the the numbers in some states, while they're not consistent, are getting much higher. But I wish everybody well and to stay safe. Back over to you, Reed. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tony. Always, every week, such incredible information, uh, ideas, thoughts, um, news from the front, studies, and, and all that to help us all. I, I'm always taking notes. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's about the inoculate, right? It's about the dosing uh, and everything in life and the same thing. You know, I, nobody, nobody despises wearing a mask uh, more than I do personally, but, you know, we do it for uh, others we do it for ourselves. And like you say, it's to, it's to slow the spread um, of the amount of, of inoculator of, of viral particles in the water droplets so that we either don't get infected or infected anybody else, or if somebody's infected, it's lower that it's maybe not a serious dose to create serious disease. So um, with that, I want to thank both Tony and Tom, uh, our producer, Kevin Tran. Um, please send up to operations at lpresearch.org uh, or hit our website, lpresearch.org um, for any and all questions, comments, or suggestions about Crime Science, the podcast, uh, or our things that we're doing at the LPRC. Um, everybody stay safe out there and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.